Hi, everybody. Welcome to Artifice episode 161. I am so excited for this episode. It's an interview that I have been wanting to do since I started the podcast. Um, and the only reason that I've waited so long is because I needed to figure out how to like properly do remote interviews, which you can decide after listening if you think that I've done that. Um, but today's interview is with one of my favorite professors from college, Mr. Mike Steinell. Um, we talk about it in the interview, but you know, when I moved to Denton, I was 19 years old. I had spent my whole life in Mesa, Arizona. Um, you know, it's a very homogenous place. And my personal experience of Mesa was very homogenous. Um, and I just, you know, never never really felt a sense of belonging. Um, and when I moved to Denton, I was just overwhelmed um, by, you know, all of the kind of diversity there um, in, in the best way, overwhelmed, just diversity of thought and diversity of backgrounds and all kinds of things. Um, and in addition to being kind of in the best way, overwhelmed by all of that, um, I also continued to feel like, I don't know, maybe like I'm not cut out for this. Maybe I'm not like cool enough. Maybe I'm too Mormon. Maybe I'm too much of a nerd. And all the classes, every interaction that I had with Mike Steinell, I just kind of felt like, well, I feel like he's kind of like me. And, and if so if he belongs in this world, then maybe I can too. Um, which was, which was really valuable for me as like an extremely kind of emotionally fragile 19 year old. So, um, so if it feels important to me to, um, you know, talk to Mike about his creative development and his background. Um, it's just, you know, really like, it feels really precious to me to have been able to, to talk with him. Um, we did have some technical difficulties. I will say like, since I did this interview, I think I have like much better figured out how to do, um, remote interviews with like good, reliable sound. Um, but I'll kind of just give you like a heads up up front kind of, of what happens. So the first, the first like 10 minutes of the interview, um, the sound, you know, it's just like a little bit garbly, um, but I, I think you can hear it well enough. And I just, I couldn't bear to delete it because it's just, he says such interesting things. Um, so just know that it doesn't kind of stay like that, but I, I opted to kind of keep that first little bit. And then we kind of, we switched to a different type of sound. Um, but there's still kind of like a little bit of a lag. So I feel like, you know, there were some times where I like thought he was finished with the thought and was, you know, kind of started saying something new. And anyway, this is why, <laughs> these things are why I was nervous to do remote interviews. Um, but like I said, um, have, have kind of figured things out. So I, I hope you enjoy it. And, um, I hope you can forgive like these, <laughs> these, like what I think are pretty low key technical, um, issues with the sound at the beginning and that, that little bit of a delay, um, just, you know, as with everything, we're always learning and developing our skills and challenging ourselves. And you can kind of see that happening <laughs> to me in this interview. Um, but I'm so, I'm so, I'm just so glad to know Mike Steinell and to have had him be a person who, you know, um, had an effect on me as a young artist and in my kind of artistic development, helping me find my place, um, in, you know, in my twenties and, and certainly like I, 
I, I, I think I said this to Mike in our interview, but, you know, I say things that he taught me in, you know, 2007, 2008 to, to my college students. Um, and, and also just my private students that I teach in my home studio, um, to this day, which is 2023. And, and I know there are, you know, easily hundreds, if not, you know, if not easily thousands of musicians around the world who, um, are teaching their students things that uh, Mike Steinell taught them directly or that they learned from any of his books um, or, you know, any of his other works or seeing him at a conference, et cetera, et cetera. He's just been prolific and has made an enormous mark on, you know, the, the, the jazz education um, world and, and on so many musicians, um, subsequently, which is just, it's precious. Like I said, it's just a, it's an absolutely valuable, um, or, or invaluable, um, reality here. So, um, you know, I want to make sure to kind of give Mike that, that honor. He deserves it. Okay. Um, <laughs> announcements. Um, there's just kind of one thing, which is that I'm playing the hallowed wide, my last, uh, my record that I released about a year ago live, um, at the Utah Valley university, gorgeous Norda center concert hall. It's a, it's a brand new concert hall. It's so beautiful. Um, and all of my bandmates are also UVU faculty. So we're playing a faculty, uh, recital basically, but we're playing the hallowed wide, which is like a narrative kind of fantasy pop experience with beautiful kind of, um, whimsical interludes between the songs and some narration. It's really like very transportive and, um, it's a, it's a perfect like fall season, little celebration. It feels very like spooky Halloween vibes, um, in the most wonderful, whimsical, enchanted forest kind of way. Do you hear it? The hallowed wide. It's an enchanted forest, an enchanted canyon um, with, you know, with beautiful music woven through. So we're playing that show live um, at UVU. You can find tickets at the Norda, um, Norda Center for the Performing Arts or just Google, you know, Emily Merrill, the hallowed wide, like you'll find it um, or send me an email and I'll send you the direct ticket link. Um, but it's going to be Friday, October 27th. Um, and the show starts at 7 p.m. And we would be so honored to have you there. It's going to be a really special show. So that's my announcement. If you live in or, or right here near Utah, near, um, the show is in Utah Valley. So like in Orem, um, which is near Provo, but if you live in Utah or, you know, you've been meaning to come visit, um, come, come to our show. Um, okay, great. Now I'm going to read you Mike Steinell's bio. Mike Steinell is a jazz trumpeter, pianist, composer, arranger, and novelist. For 40 years, he taught at the collegiate level, most notably at the University of North Texas, for 32 years. He has performed throughout the U.S., Canada, Europe, and Asia, recorded with the Frank Mantooth Orchestra, the Mike Waldrop Band, the Chicago Jazz Quintet, and performed with Ella Fitzgerald, Clark Terry, Don Ellis, Bill Evans, Zoot Sims, Jerry Berganzi, and others. His most recent Recent releases are Song and Dance Origin Records 2018 and Saving Charlie Parker Rosewood Audio 2022. The latter is a companion piece with a novel of the same name. I can't believe I forgot to say this in the intro, but the other thing that excites me so much about Mike and makes him like such a wonderful mentor for me is the way that he's continued to evolve as an artist throughout his career into his retirement. I just, I love seeing, you know, um, 
yeah, like a, a guide for how to kind of to do that. And, you know, it kind of gives me permission to be on this path that I'm on, which is hopefully, you know, constantly evolving. I love the idea that when I'm, you know, at the age that that Mike is, that I'll be doing projects that I can't even fathom of um, right right now. Um, it's just great and so inspiring. And uh, one final note before we dig into the interview, um, Mike has asked that I include um, a song from his new record, um, Men in Purple Shoes, I think is what it's called. Um, and I will have that right at the end of the interview before kind of the podcast outro. So you'll hear that um, just going, you know, kind of right after Mike and I say goodbye. Okay, that's all for the intro. I hope you love this interview with one of my teachers and mentors, Mike Steinell. Here comes. Great art almost feels like magic. It opens our minds to brand new ideas and teaches us to see ourselves and our world more clearly. Of course, behind all great art, there are artists. And I think that's where the real magic happens. As we go beneath the art itself to explore how artists do what they do, we see glimpses of the sorts of creativity and resilience that lead to the art that moves our world. And maybe we can learn to borrow some of that magic for our own thinking. That's the goal here. And now that we're on the same page, let's dive in. I'm Emily Merrill, and this is Artifice. Um, well, Mike, I'm so excited to interview. I know I've told you a bunch of different times, but of, of all the professors I had at North Texas, I really just, I enjoyed your classes. I just felt like your, like, it always felt to me like your brain was like a similar type of a brain to my brain. And, and, uh, I've been wanting to interview ever since I started the podcast, but I have just kind of gotten started with remote interviews. So thanks for agreeing to do it. <laughs> it's my pleasure. I'm honored. Oh, I'm honored. So, um, so I like to start, I, I always tell my guests, I find that I can ask better questions of my, my present day guests, if I understand a little bit about the creative background. So I love to talk with my guests about their childhoods and kind of very early relationship with creativity, kind of regardless of whether it has anything to do with the medium you use now, medium you do now. So I'd love to know, what were you like as a creative child? What were you up to as a tiny, tiny little Michael Steinel? <laughs> I grew up in a very small town, small town. My dad was a band director. My mother was a high school librarian and math teacher. Where? Where'd you grow up in Texas? I grew up in Marion, Kansas. Okay. Okay. Awesome. And, um, you know, the benefit of being in a small town, I'm, I'm not sure it's the same anymore, but I just did everything. Even yeah. if I wasn't good at it, you know, I did, my dad was a band director, so I obviously did music. Yeah. And I remember around sixth grade, in the summer of sixth grade, I, I just, out of boredom, I think, got um, just really interested in uh, playing the trumpet. I just played the trumpet all day long. Yeah. And I think well, I got, I think I got good that, that summer. How old were you? My wife is, well, sixth grade, how old are you in sixth grade? Twelve. Yeah. Yeah. Fifth, sixth grade, something like that. So, okay. My, my oh. wife is singing downstairs. She's a singer. Oh, I, I, you know, I don't think I've ever met her, but that's, that's, that's awesome. I can't well, hear. Well, you mind in a minute. I have yeah. to tell her to, to stop singing. <laughs> no, I don't, I think it's fine. I, we can't hear it. I can't hear it. Okay. Um, so before you were 12, like, were you doing, were you? Piano lessons. Okay. You know, and, but my dad gave me a, a trumpet when I, he gave me and my brother a trumpet, beat up old trumpets wow. that the instrument repair these instrument repair guy or uh, music store guys would do um everything was spread out in western kansas mm. and um 
they would travel. They were roadmen. And he brought some old trumpets and gave them to my dad to give to his kids. And so I started honking around on the trumpet, and he showed me the scale. And, and he and, said, do you want – he showed me the C, C scale, the B-flat wow. scale. And then he said, do you want, to, you want to take lessons? I said, no, I think I got it from here. <laughs> that's so funny. <laughs> Seriously. And that's when – sorry, is that when you were in sixth grade or was that earlier? That was six years old. Okay, wow, wow. Okay, this is the kind of stuff I love to know. Um, your yeah. dad, did your dad play like all the instruments in the band or was he a trumpet player specifically? No, he was he was a trumpet player. That okay. was his main instrument, but, but he taught everything. You know, he, okay, cool. we lived in little towns and so he yeah. started every kid on every instrument. Right, right, right. So he could, he could uh, you know, he could get them started. He was, that was his, you know, eventually they moved, after I went to college, they moved to a bigger town and uh, he, he eventually taught uh, just beginning band in middle school and loved oh, wow. that because he was, he had a great sense of humor. He was, he liked to goof around with the kids. He was very strict actually. Um, pretty, he was an old school strict, yeah. um, teacher, you know, but great with um, kids too. That's really cool. Yeah. But he could goof around and, yeah. and he got, he got on his, uh, last couple of decades of teaching. He really enjoyed, uh, I could just tell he was really enjoying it. High school was beating him up, but that was right around yeah. the time in the eighties when, um, uh, schools, they made a requirement. He had to have a band at every, you know, you couldn't just have a band right. at the football game. You right. had to ha be at the every girls volleyball and swimming. Crazy. And it, it, every night he had, was, he was taking a band someplace, wow. you know, and he was, well, he's probably the younger night. He was probably in his fifties then. Wow. wow. And, uh, but anyway, so yeah. That, and, and I remember like there was always, music in the house that's great and uh, later he went to graduate school and uh that's when i started band that was in the fourth grade we were in okay. wichita kansas yeah bigger town and you were playing trumpet in the band in, in fourth grade yeah in fourth grade cool and uh so your your dad i'm curious this like balance of like strict and go and like goofy and fun do you feel like that is like informs your teaching like do you feel like you you follow in his I footsteps suppose, in that way you know i was yeah. you know i, I did I crack jokes a lot? I think so. I always remember feeling like, like I really, just since I was really little, I always prefer teachers who are very clear, like very direct. Like it's, it's really well-defined, like what the task is and what you need to do. And yeah. I found in college, um, that a lot of like, you know, it makes perfect sense that a lot of teachers of the arts would kind of have a different approach and um I always felt like you you felt to me like similar to like my favorite math teachers but then also like you know there's like a a whimsy and like a fun as well I, I always felt that well, way about so. your classes <laughs> yeah yeah when you yeah, were saying that about your dad I mean I thought like you know I think I'm sure you know like your improv two class is like the class that all the undergraduates talk about and are terrified of you know, I mean, it's were. like, they were terrified. Yeah. Not anymore, I guess not now anymore. that you've retired, but, but I mean, I remember people being like, what are you taking? And you know, someone would say like improv too. And everyone would be like, Oh, good luck, man. Um, so, you know, I think it was like, I, I think you were, you in, you were like the hard ass, but also like, I don't know. I just, I always really just liked your, your classes, but you know, it, that class was about something pretty cut and dried, you know, where yeah. you can, you can create melodies. Did you hear that? It's my uh, alarm yeah. going off. Yeah, no, sorry I, about that. I can't hear it. No, that's fine. Okay, good. That was. I'm getting an email from 
Mayfair. They want me to buy something. Uh, <laughs> um, I think it was cut and dried, you know, like you either can do this or you can. And if you can't, then you need to work a little harder. Yeah. And here's what help might help, you know, but it was, it was a clearly defined goal. Yeah. And then you get to, when you, it broadens out after that, you know, uh, I think that's kind of the history of the music is that the bebop thing defined a certain kind of skill Yeah. that uh, all those players, you know, main, they got to, and then somebody like Train, he would just took it a lot farther, further, farther, yeah. I can't remember. Both, and, whatever. Uh, miles, miles, <laughs> yeah. same thing, you know, like, so it's like the progression. Yeah. And, I, you know, Bert Licken ha has a really good thing in his book on improv where he says, talks about like the development of a jazz player is like going through a funnel. Mm. And he said, you start out and you're trying to create music and you're fairly general and you're playing blues scales and everything. And then it gets more and more particular. Yeah. Um, and, and that's in some ways, that's kind of the history of the music too. It, it got, you know, Louis Armstrong mm -hmm. was playing on the melody and maybe close to the changes, but he wasn't particularly like inside yeah. the changes and the changes get harder and harder until you get to giant steps John right. Coltrane, and that's a tune where he played on every, he, he there's no misses in his playing. Yeah. You know, he's, then he goes, then the, then it, after that, it kind of, the funnel opens up and yeah. you can be, uh, modern players are about getting away from the harmony, you know? You know, it's uh, such an, it's such an interesting thing. I've been thinking about this a lot lately, you know, just, I, I've been, I finished my master's degree 10 years ago, so, you know, I, wow, it's, has it been that long? It oh, has. And I've just been kind of looking back on this on this decade and kind of thinking about, you know, where what what I've evolved into as an artist. And, you know, like there's something about looking back over a period of time and realizing like, oh, I never could have predicted, you know, what would happen. And then I assume that, you know, I'll look back in another 10 years and feel the same way again. Um, but it, it's something I've really been thinking about, you know, as I've been doing this podcast and, you know, I teach college, but I don't teach jazz musicians. Like my students are, they're producers and they're, you know, singer songwriters and the, the ethos is very different. And I find more and more, like as I, as I talk to artists in all different mediums, and as I talk a lot with musicians in a non-jazz medium, uh, there are so many skills in this umbrella of jazz, even in the umbrella of music, in the umbrella of composition. And I don't know, it's, it's interesting. One thing that I was kind of thinking about this week, like just thinking about interviewing you is like, you know, I, I don't love improvising. Like it's, I think I've told you before your, your two classes were the only B's I got in college. Oh, <laughs> my, my only two B's, including my master's oh. degree, which is they, I, it was, it was as it should be. Like I, I didn't deserve A's in those classes. Like it was really hard for me, but you know, I think, I think about the way that improvising lights up my brain and the, the the places where I feel that skill, like, you know, this type of a skill really feeling right to me are in other forms, like, you know, improvising in lessons and improvising like verbally. Um, but it's just an interesting thing, you know, thinking about like kind of what's happening like neurologically. Um, but I like this idea that, you know, the bebop 
musicians are doing like a, a very, very specific, very well-defined thing. And then, you know, there's this kind of spillover into like so many other areas of exploration. You can still hear me, right? Yeah, good. Okay, I your, hear vo you well. your voice sounds beautiful as well. Um, okay, so yeah, I think well, we ha we had just been we've been talking for about 15 minutes. And we're talking about um, your childhood a little bit. Your dad is a band director. He started playing the trumpet when you were a little boy, like six years old. Um, those are the kind of things we talked about. And then we st had just we're just kind of starting to kind of go back and talk about, um, you know, uh, the the evolution of jazz music as like a as a sort of metaphor for like an individual musician's evolution and I I want to make sure I capture your thoughts about that because I think that's a really interesting point of view so we'll just let's just let's just dig in there well you know you can go back and maybe pick up where we but I think that we talked about the class you took or did you take yeah, two classes with me? I did. I took, well, I took threes cause I took um, jazz theory, which I loved. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I was just thinking about this today. Cause, cause you know, again, I teach students that are now, you know, the age that I was when I was taking classes from you and some of them struggle so much with theory and, you know, I never had, I never had teachers really before I went to UNT. I mean, I took voice lessons from a woman who like, had a bachelor's degree in vocal performance. I never had had any jazz instruction. I took piano lessons for a little while, but really didn't know any theory. And when I came to college, I was so behind so many of my classmates and um, taking your class. Like I, I feel like your class, your fundamentals class got me through my classical theory. Like it just made so much sense. And then, you know, I was really good at theory and I'm, I'm good at theory still. So that's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I really liked that class. And then I, I took improv one and improv two. And those were the two that I got B's in. <laughs> so. But I didn't teach improv one, did I? Back then, I think you did. Yeah. Did I, I mean, really? I'm, I'm nearly positive. I don't think or I maybe, did. maybe, oh, wait, no, you're right. Um, Rodney. Was it was Rodney. Me. Yeah, you're right. So two classes. So the, the <laughs> so, well, so I guess maybe, maybe my other B was from Rodney. <laughs> I can't remember. Anyway, that's well, funny. Yeah. I remember my first day at North Texas, uh, I met my um, less brothers who I had, I'd been a student in North Texas and uh, I had taken his history class, graduate history. It was so hard in the summer and I worked really hard and I got a C and I, he came up the stairs and I said, Oh, Dr. Brothers, I don't know if you remember me. He didn't. He says, I took your class in the summer and uh, you know, I, I will have to admit I did not do well. It was a great class, but I didn't do well. And he looked at my door with my name on it and said, well, you're doing great now. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that funny? Well, that's that's kind of what I meant. Like when I was starting to say before, and I'll repeat for the listener, that it's just, it's something that's, that's made such an impression on me recently. Just this idea that we are all, we, we put these labels on what we're doing. Like, oh, well, I'm a jazz musician or I'm a, you know, whatever, or I'm a, I'm a fine art painter. I'm a whatever, all the things. Um, and it, these labels are not all that useful for like what maybe individually we are like excellent at. And it's something like, you know, when I was in high school, I've told this story on the podcast a million times, but the very first time I ever really heard jazz, um, I just had this idea that I should know about jazz music and I went to Barnes and Noble and I just happened to pick up kind of blue. It just was like the first record that I ever bought. 
and went home and my my family was out of town they had gone like on a vacation without me so i was i was home alone and i put on kind of blue and i listened to it like six times in a row and just felt like what is this i i need more but in retrospect i think that the things i loved about it like were maybe different things than a lot of my my north texas classmates and it's i don't know it's an interesting thing to kind of find your 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 perfect spot as a as an artist and i don't know if i'm there yet but i i think i'm getting closer yes it's all you know i'm doing so much so many different things than mm. i did you know like i'm kind of doing more things well i tell you what i remember i supposedly told my piano teacher in the second grade i wanted to be a rock and roll star yeah. and she she told my parents yeah. <laughs> and they thought that was cute and i you know i would go home and watch uh, american bandstand and i didn't even know well exactly but in in high school i I practiced the trumpet. I took trumpet lessons. Uh, my dad eventually uh, would drive me every every two weeks over to this the college I later went to, and uh, I would take lessons with the professor over there, and who was very helpful. But during that time, my big interest was playing in the rock band, the local rock band, you know. Yeah. And you played and, trumpet. Wait, what did you play? No, I guitar? played there. Well, I played. Let me see. Did I play guitar? I played. Uh, Yes, I learned to play guitar, and then my bro I, I twisted my brother's arm, and he played keyboards, and I would join the parts. Oh wow! Your older he, brother? You said older. Yeah, he's brother? a year old. He's a yeah. year in school old. He's about eighteen months older than me. Cool. And uh, and then the then I got in the, the it, let me see. No, originally I got in the band playing trumpet, and then the, the small town the bass player broke his collarbone on a Friday night. Oh, no. So I played the dance on Saturday night on bass because I, I I had had all the instruments at school I could goof around on and I knew, you know where the notes were, and well, it was just, it's mainly three notes you know bum bum bum. I have bum. I have I have more questions about this because I I definitely don't think that's just like a given like being able to play a bunch of instruments when you're like a, literally a child, so maybe like let's let's talk a little bit more about the creative environment in your childhood. So your dad is a trumpet player and was a professional musician, a, a professional music educator. Um, what was like the what was the the just the energy like in the house? Was it like was it a very exploratory place? Was, was your family having like discussions about creative things? Like what was the kind of like, milieu? no, not really, not okay. really. No. So were you, I would, I would have questions and he would answer them. And you... uh, then I just kind of went on my own and did stuff, yeah. you know, did you have different kinds of questions from your brother? Like, I'm wondering whether, you know, I always think it's interesting when I interview artists whose parents are also artists, like what it kind of means to develop your own like identity as an artist. And and I'm curious, like which things you were kind of taking to that were like specifically yours. Um, your well, I was more into it than any of my siblings. Yeah. Except okay. for my little sister who became a, a playwright and a comic. Cool. And a, <laughs> Not music. And, that's amazing, though. Well, she played in an all-girl uh, punk rock band out in Seattle. Hardcore, that's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> she, and then they were, and she, they just got inducted into this the uh, Washington um, Rock Hall and Roll Fame. Hall of oh, Fame. Cool. Well, it tell was me, called like... the. It was called what were they called? The Neo Neo Girls. Cool. Well, I I'd love to hear you talk about like to the best of your you know memory because I just find 
childhood artistry fascinating. Um, but I'm curious, like, can you tell me what you were like specifically, like, what were you into about it? Like, was it about, was it about the sounds? Was it about like the kind of mechanics of the instruments? Like what, what was it that you were drawn to? I think it was being in front of people and performing. Wow. Really? Wow. Well, yeah, that's because great. you know, that's, I think that's the impulse. Yeah. Is to have, if you, if you realize you're kind of good at something. Yeah. And, um, you know, the guys in the band, you know, were kind of amazed that I could just step in and, and fill in for that's the bass saying. player. It's not, it's not obvious. It's like, that, that's, it's <laughs> and not then obvious. The, the piano player didn't know how to solo. So like in the, I was still on trumpet. So when, when he have an organ solo, I'd go over and play the solos for him. That's crazy. <laughs> Tell me this. How old were you when you realized that you were kind of good at music? Uh, probably a junior high, you know. Okay. And you know, was that something that like your dad or like your teachers were like talking about with you? Like, hey, Mike, you're you're really good at this. Do you know, no, my dad. No, my dad. Very. He was very supportive and he would tell me was but it was nothing like they never said, oh, you're so special. And it was never about that. Yeah, that's interesting. So how, how did did you just know? Because like, how no, did you know? I, I didn't know if I, I knew I was pretty good. Um. Cause I'd get first chair, you know, my brother, <laughs> my older brother got the trumpet. Yeah. And when we got into band, he started a year before me, but when we got yeah. into band, my dad switched him to baritone cause he knew I'd be, yeah, <laughs> I'd be so, first chair and he'd be second chair. It just kind of became <laughs> obvious because you were like th things that took your peers longer, took you less time to learn. Yeah. And, I, and, uh, yeah, I just, you know, I've, yes. I remember, you know, the name Ravelli. I think so. He was a band director, old school band director from um, uh, Michigan. Okay. And he was cruel. He would go out and do these clinics and bands. He would just be, he would clinic high school bands and just be ruthless. Uh. So, so we're playing along the piece for him. And he goes, he stops the band and goes, you there. He says, play happy birthday. And I played happy birthday. He says, uh played in another key so i played it in another key <laughs> he says can you do another key and i did i played another key so i had yeah. you know I, my ear was connected i think what it is is the, my ear was connected to things i was doing you know wow. that's just from really... just from spending time just from spending time with it yeah you know? well i don't you know i i think so this will be i i don't keep exact track but i've done about 160 something interviews and wow. I, yeah, it's, it's really become like a, a very, I'm interesting... insulted that I'm 161. <laughs> Mike, it's only because you live in Texas. Like I, I did, I tried oh, to you come did out live. Yeah, I did second, them all. Get, get my coaster. Yeah, please do. Yeah. I did them all live. I joke I my daughters. Live. I had daughters going, Oh, that's weird. The coaster is in invisible. Um, yeah, it really cause is. Cause it's great. Cause it's green. Yeah, it's green. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> I had uh, beautiful daughters and I have a grandson and they were so well behaved. I said the, my daughters were so good. The only problem was uh, they never used coasters. Oh yeah, you got to protect the wood. Um, <laughs> no, just, La Larry, Dav it. Larry David has a bit about that, and he says like respect wood. And so uh, my <laughs> husband is really my husband is really um, strict about coasters as well, and he's always like respect wood. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it you just can't go back from it. 
once it's gone, once that ring's there, it's there. You have to forever. sand and refinish yeah. or yeah, any of the no, things. So right. I totally agree. You got to respect wood. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful material in our lives and we, we have to respect it. Um, yeah. Well, what I was going to say is, you know, as I, so I, I've, I've started to like, really feel like I have like a body of knowledge about artists that is kind of unique. And the longer that I do this project, because I interview chefs, I interview leather workers, I interview like designers, like all kinds of artists, um, poets, like authors. Um, and it's, it's really like the, the, the gifts, you know, the kind of like little sparkles that we have as children, it's so easy, I think, for the individual artist to kind of take that for granted. And this thing you're saying of like, your ears were connected, like they were connected to the instrument. I think that is something that for a lot of people is not remotely intuitive. And even if they spend a lot of time, it like just takes, it's just hard. So that's, that's interesting to know that that's like the name of, you know, at least one of the things that was, you know, kind of streamlined in your very particular, like, you know, neural network and your, you know, your specific makeup. That's interesting. It's weird. I, I don't particularly have a strong ear necessarily. I, um, I didn't have good ear training in undergraduate school. Wow. And even right now, if you ask me to sing a particular interval, I might get nervous and, and be unable to identify it. But yeah. if, How do you, if do you it play then? a sound, if, I, I just feel what the on my on an, on the instrument. I feel what the sound is. That's kind of magic, right? That's cool. Well, I suppose you know, and and it. I used to be really. Um, I still am sensitive that I don't have a better ear, you know, like to identify. I'm. I'm. I actually have been even as as early as late as uh, ten years ago. I was working with programs to try to get a better ear just because I, you know, but I I think I have a good ear for, I have a good intuitive ear to know what's going to work with a sound and then to to know where it is. I've just played the trumpet so long, you know, that I don't even, we played Wednesday night and there was a couple of times I remember I played something and I looked at Rosanna and I go, what was that? You know, and it, it sounded really cool. But it just came out, came out right, you know. And, oh, uh, I love it. Well, I, I, it's fascinating to me. Like, well, and the uh, one thing I, I want to ask you in this moment is like, you know, your colleagues, some of your colleagues have some of the best ears of people who are alive, and how, like, you know, I don't know. Does it, does it feel like, does it feel like a certain kind of courage to, to feel like maybe your pathway to improvising is a little different? Like, does that, does that, I don't know. Do you have like, it used to bother me more. Yeah. Um, how do you, how do you, how did you get to a place where you felt like fine about that? I I just gave up caring. Yeah. <laughs> that's, you a, that's, you know, you I'm 71. I, a lot about what's freed me up in the last couple of years. Um, we haven't talked about it yet, but I, I I'm on my fourth novel and there's yes. two that I started that I didn't, that I won't, that I may finish at some point. Yeah. And, and I had, I started a Dylan band. Right. 12 years, 13 years ago. I love this about you. And that was kind of the process of realizing that it doesn't really matter. You know, for a long time when I was teaching, what the kind of jazz I composed and everything was, it had to be a certain thing. 
you know, and it had to be d complicated yeah. and it had to be mathematical. And I realized that, you know, um, what I was, what was really in me was, was uh, a simpler sorts of things. And the Bob Dylan stuff really opened up something in oh. me that um, taught me that, you know, that you, the ingredients do not have to be right. um, fancy I, in order for you to do really great work. And so like, you know, yeah, there's, I there's songs, agree. there's a really good song on uh, saving Charlie Parker called turtle and it's just two chords. Wow. And, uh, and then there's a song called sea monster and it sounds complicated, but it's really just one note. It's, it's the bass player plays one note and then there's this, all this other stuff over wow. the top of it. But, you know, I, I think at a certain point, um, and I probably should have tried to arrive at it earlier, but you just get so, you know, that I, first of all, one, I'm not going to make any money on this. So, <laughs> you know, it's yeah. really hard to make money making yeah. this music. So yeah. why don't I just do exactly what I want to do and what speaks to me? And it turns out that it, it, it people respond to it, it works. Um, a lot. Yeah. I think jazz people respond to it and people, you know, like just from my church yeah. who don't own a one jazz record, they'll come out and they'll enjoy it. Yeah. And, uh, it's amazing. Know. It's like, it's this higher level skill. I, I think about this kind of stuff too. There's like, there's like the work that we do on our craft and then there's the work we do on ourselves, like on our hearts and on our identities and kind of what do right. I want to make? What am I, what do I feel kind of called upon to make? And those things can be very, confusing like the journey of an artist I think is like it's twofold it's like honing a skill that's like a, a harder skill and then honing like you know an intuition or, or something right um, no I, I think you just at some point um yeah you know I I think that I think it's just a matter of like finding what's inside of you yeah and then e and then doing something with it well, you know. you know, my podcast is called Artifice, and I literally say nearly every episode it's because it's a great word, but also because of this thing, like finding, you know, finding out what's inside you. Uh, it's almost like this thing that's on the outside is like inherently a bit of a bit of an artifice, like it's a bit of a mask and, you know, trying e so, even even within yourself to figure out. But do you think of there. that as a positive thing or a negative thing? I feel neither way about it. I feel like it's uh, it's up I'm it's up to each artist to tell me how they feel about it, but I'm interested. I'm curious about it. It's kind of the whole thing I'm interested in. Like what does this look like from the inside? Like what what are the what are the factors that we're not thinking about? Cuz it's easy to look at, you know, maybe your career. Like your career is so storied. You've written so much. Like you've taught so many students. You know, you just had like a an enormous impact on um, you know, jazz musicians in, in America as particularly, and, and also anywhere, probably, um, just, you know, your, your textbooks are in other schools, you know, Dan Hurley, Dan Hurley used to have a great comment. He'd say like, what, you know, about that. He said, I take no credit. I accept no blame. Yeah, no, really. <laughs> but, but it, I think somebody could, no, look we at had, I, you know, I mean, the students that came through like you, the North Texas in particular, but other, at the other schools where I taught, were, you know, they're the ones that kept doing it were going to be fine without me. I'm, I'm convinced they would have figured it out. And then the ones that 
um, quit. You know, that's the thing about this business is that I look back long time ago, like when I was in high school and in college and going to jazz festivals and hearing people that were much better than me. Mm. And oftentimes they just stopped. I've been telling my students this same thing. Like I've already started to see it. And, you know, like I was saying before, when I, when I came to new to UNT, I was, I was way in over my head. I mean, I was, I was so behind. I felt, you know, what many of my peers knew I had crippling anxiety. I was dealing with, you know, undiagnosed PTSD that I didn't, I did not have the skills to deal with. And I always felt like an imposter. Like I always felt like I just, I don't know how they let me in. Like, I don't think I'm supposed to be here. And it's just interesting, you know, looking back, like I'm, I'm a professor now. And like, you know, I, I talk about things you taught me in my classes. And, you know, I try to tell my students, it's like, you know, we're each on kind of like an artistic journey. And if you feel like an artist, like if you feel like you're an artist, you're going to figure that out. I, I totally agree with you. And, and if it's something else, then it's going to be something else. And like, it just, it just will be. I, um, I was watching Jimmy Fallon and they had uh, Lynn Manuel. Yeah. Uh, Miranda, and yeah. Miranda and uh, he's redoing. Uh, what musical are they redoing with this guy that wrote the original New York, New York, and he's 91. Is, wow. is it Jeff Cannon or Jim Cannon? I don't know. And he's and really sharp at 91, talks a little slow because he thinks about what he's going to say. Yeah. But you might, but at some point they ask him, well, how do you, why do you think you're doing this? And he, he says, he says, I don't think I can not not do this. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I don't think I can not not write. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he says, I have to, it's just something, an impulse. And yeah. I think that's, that's kind of me, you know, I think. I have other things Powerful. I like to do, but you know, it's just, um, the process is good. You know, one of the things I was going to show you, but we're not visual, but the song you, that I hope you can play. I will. Th th this is just the lyric process. I have one, two, three, four, five, six, oh, I love it. seven, eight, nine. Amazing. <laughs> I love it so much. 11 pages. Like one, at one point, I, I wanted to rhyme with uh, light peaks through the door, uh, distant snow, distant notes from a, from far offshore, and so I um, I just had rhyming words here: shores, yeah. doors, oars, roars, soars, wars. Like that's fours, how yours. I write too. This is why I know we have a similar brain. <laughs> like I I felt it as a I felt it as a you know as a my nineteen year old self in that in that class. I just felt like this man it his brain is doing similar things to mine. I, I felt sure about it then. And, and it, this, this is confirming something, you know, I love this, like this, this kind of, um, meticulousness. <laughs> like, well, it's just, you know, like, um, it's, it's the process of doing it is as fun as hearing it. Absolutely. And okay. You tell know me what's this. Weird is, oh, it, is, is that a lot of the things that I'm writing now, I've, I've dug out of old note books. I mean, I'm, I mean, really old notebooks, like yeah, 30, yeah. 40 years ago. That's crazy. And when I was in high, when I was in college, um, I, I always had a band going, you know, I mean, a, a, not a jazz band. It usually, it, it, we had to play dances and things. So we were, yeah. we would play like traffic. We'd play anything that was kind of artistic. 
Uh, Steely Dan. No, this is pre-Steely Dan okay. even. But later <laughs> when I was on the road with a, with a band called The Flippers, um, I, I did a lot of... I took three years between undergraduate and North Texas, and I was just either had my own band or I was on the road with cool. uh, uh, different bands. And they were all just uh, rock bands playing um, early on, playing one-nighters. And then later we would, back in the day, you know, I remember we our first gig, I had a trio. It was a really good trio. And I would play p- keyboard and flugel a la Chuck Maggione so we could have a quartet. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, then we yeah. sang, the bass player and I sang. So we did like, oh, uh, well, we did uh, Shining Star. We, we did stuff like, mm-hmm. what was what's that band um, I'm thinking of? You know, Earth, Wind, Earth, and, Wind Fire. and Fire. Yeah. And then we do Les McCann. We did funky stuff. Yeah. And then cool. we would play Yardbird Suite, you know, we and Ooh, cool. at a disco and people would somehow dance to Yardbird Suite. <laughs> We'd so slide funny. it in there. We'd slide a rhythm tune in there. You just you know? had to do it. You just had to. <laughs> yeah, it would it. be our break song, you know. Hey, Mike, tell me this. So you do, you write fiction now. And one of my favorite things, so I, I love talking to artists who do multiple mediums. And you certainly are doing, you know, you're, you're playing trumpet, you're writing music, you're writing jazz, you're teaching many things. I would say those are all different mediums. You are... You are Tex Zimmerman in your Bob Dylan band. You're an author doing so many things. And I, I love to I love to trace back each kind of creative impulse and just see like, is there is there a little anchor in like a, in the childhood self? And I'm curious, were you always a storyteller from when you were little? I somebody else has asked me that, you know, really? I um, no, I I've been a pretty good writer. Yeah. And I helped a lot of students with dissertations and different things with writing. And in my pedagogy class, I really, we, we spent a little bit of time uh, talking about writing well. But fiction, I hadn't really done. Wait, I have another question before you talk about fiction. Yeah. When you talk about being a good writer, tell me like what that means to you. Like if it's not stories, like tell me like just... In your in your words, like what is it about the language that kind of just makes sense? Well, tone and and uh, yeah. word choice and and economy, mm. you know, um, Clar- clarity probably and and flow. So that's a thing I, I, that I found with um, <clears throat> writing a paragraph in my novels. Mm. It's almost like constructing a solo. I was going to say, I was just going to ask, does it feel the same as writing yeah, solo? Very similar. Yeah, of like, course it does. I love, I mean, it would have been, I would have been interested if you said no also, but yeah. You know, if you, you know, if you're playing a solo and you bump against the same note too much. Yeah. It's, it's boring. You so same thing words. if you, yeah, if you, you, if you come back and, and use this, even in the same sentence, if you use the same word twice, it's, yeah. it's just, it's death. The rhythm of it gets off. I, I like writing right. too. I like writing prose also. And I really feel the same way. Um, it's like, it's yeah, like the you're making a solo, you know, your phrase lengths need to change. You know, it's like, it's a very similar. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. That's awesome. And, and so then, oh, go ahead. And just, uh, you know, economy. Um, the first, my, one of my first attempts after my sabbatical 
was I came back and I started, you know, you're supposed to do a report for your sabbatical. When I went down to Birmingham to uh, investigate um, early jazz musicians in the Birmingham and Montgomery, Alabama area, black cool. musicians cool. who cool. populated all the dance bands in the 30s. It was, they, it was a great, it was a hotbed of, of musical activity and they had uh, really good teachers and uh, so anyway, uh, I got down there and I'd read all the books about the, the thing and I started interviewing people and I realized nobody had any new information. I was just mm -hmm. hearing what I'd read in the books and I realized, oh, these, all the people that can give me something new are dead. Wow. And so I went home and I started writing historical fiction. Dr. Murphy didn't like the idea, but mm -hmm. he kind of, uh, but, but he, he kind of went, okay, all right. And I got 16 chapters into a story about the Bama State Collegians. Bama State is in Montgomery. It's an all-black school, or was. And um, they had a band called the Bama State Collegians that became hugely popular. And in the black press in, in that part, in the eastern seaboard, they would, out, uh, they, would get, um, they would get higher ratings in the polls than Count Basie and Duke Ellington at times. Wow. They were really good. Wow. So, and the band was so popular that the president started booking the band because this, and, and basically wow. the band pulled the school out of, out of bankruptcy around 1931. Holy cow. So I got into the archives and here was the president stacks and stacks of letters from the president booking the band, not only the, the top band, but then there were, it was like, it became like a North Texas. They had a number two band, and number three band. Cool. Well, Erskine Hawkins, famous trumpet player, took the band. This is the interesting part. He took the band on tour in the summer and never brought them back. They stayed in New York. Wow. 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 That's <laughs> and so he funny. kept using the name, the Bama State Collegians. Wow. For two more years. And the school said, no, no, you can't you have to do stop. this. Yeah, it's a copyright <laughs> issue. So what did he do? He changed the name to the original Bama State Collegians. Oh, my heavens. Oh, wow. But anyway. So Wait, just so I started quickly. writing. I started writing the thing. I started writing a novel about that president. Yeah, that makes he sense. Had been to, he was he and his father had both gone to the University of Illinois, which is really um, that's where they did the Manhattan Project. It's okay. a really, you know, exclusive high end university. They were the only two black men to get in there in like 20 in, in two decades. But anyway. They couldn't live on campus. They had to live in the black part of town. But they. Oh, wow. But anyway, really intriguing. But I got 16 chapters into it, and I realized I could not write the dialect. I could not write dialogue for mm. African American people. Yeah. You know, I could. It just. I couldn't find the voice. Well, I. I could find maybe. And then I, if I wrote it that way, that would be demeaning to somebody. Yeah, totally. So I gave that up. So then sounds the next. Like, sounds then, like you need a co-writer. Yeah, I would like somebody to pick up that story. But anyway, um, then I wrote this novel in co early COVID in September in three called uh, The Lake House, which is about us fixing up a house up in Kansas. It's on it's on MikeSteinel.com on the fiction bug. Okay. You need to click fiction and you can listen to the audio book. Oh, great. And uh, I just made it for friends and family. And then people said, this is good, you know, so... Um, I, I really did it in three weeks and it's, pre it's pretty good. Holy cow. Hey, Mike, did you like, 
did you think about writing fiction when you were younger or was this kind of like a thought that you had and then you just went for it? Never thought about it. If so you would have told that, me even 10 years ago, you're going to write novels. I, what no, does it feel not? like? Like, so what, one of my favorite topics on this podcast is like just talking with artists about resilience, about kind of ownership, uh, giving yourself permission. And it seems like you were great at that. Um, how, how did you, how did you develop that skill of like, just kind of giving yourself permission to, to dive into a project? My mic keeps, I need to tighten my clip. <laughs> yeah. Like my mic keeps falling over. Hey, yeah. What I found was it was, it was uh, fascinating. It was like watching TV or watching a movie that I was in control of. Mm-hmm. Like, to a lucid, some degree, like a lucid dream or something. Yeah. To some degree, but I would go like, okay, now I'm going to, I need to, you know, you need a structure for a story. You need to like put your character, you need to develop your character yeah. and have them have some dimension to them. And then you put them in a situation and then you call then there's a crisis. And then, so like, you know, I would just say, well, so the, 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 the first novel was we were fixing up this house in Marion and I kept joking for a couple of weeks. Wouldn't it, we had to dig up a slab in the backyard and I kept saying to my wife, Beverly, and my mother-in-law, who was living with us at the time, she lived with us for three years. She passed away in uh, February this year. She was she was 100 in October. Oh, my gosh. Wow. So she moved. We moved her in when COVID hit, and we had a great three years. She was wow. great roommate. Wow. But anyway, so I kind of did it for the two of them. I said, I'm going to write this story about... And I'm, we're going to find a dead body on the slab. I'm like, it's, it's crime. Yeah, I hear. I felt it coming. Yeah. Right. Wow. So, and then the rest of the novel describes the house. And, and we, and at the same time, we were doing this s- similar projects at the house, you know, wow. like tearing up the driveway. So that's in there. And, and, uh, <laughs> crazy. Um, so yeah. am I, am I understanding right that like the first fiction kind of came out of a desire to flesh out some of these stories we can't exactly have a history of it because the people who could give us that history aren't around, but is that, it started out like that, like a, like yeah, a, like you a, know, jazz, um, a jazz culture project. There was no jazz in the first one at all. Okay. But um, it's just about the little town and I called it something else. I called it Morgan. I didn't call it Marion, but it's all about like the little, the park and the, and the Alcar Cafe. There's all sorts of, and the Kingfisher Inn. And can you, uh, can you describe like what made you want to do that? Like what? I happened? don't know. Wow. Well, um, it was entertaining. I would write literally all day. I get it's up. It's for you. It's, you're just satisfying that thing. Yeah. And cool. then at dinner time, uh, we'd have dinner and I would, we'd watch Jeopardy and then, um, what was a wheel of fortune because <laughs> Nadine, my mother-in-law loved those. Yeah. And, uh, and then I'd say, you want to, re- can I read a chapter of this book I'm working on? And so I would read a chapter, the first couple that, and they went, that's so good. Keep going, keep going. <gasps> so then I would every night have a new chapter and Beverly, my wife was pretty good. She's a really good editor. She's comes wow. from a newspaper background. Wow. And, uh, she was, she only later when we started to work through it and, and uh, correct it, then she spoke up about, you know, it'd be better if you said this and that, you know, mm-hmm. or she'd back up. So that doesn't make sense. You need to 
flesh that out a little bit. Wow. But anyway, so it was just a project to entertain my household because we weren't yeah. we weren't going anywhere. Right. We weren't doing anything. You know, um, we didn't know how long we would be right. here. You know, that's COVID crazy. Was really through a monkey wrench into everything. Oh, I think we're still recovering. Like, oh, yeah. I, I just, I see it in my students. Like I, I just, I think we're all just kind of a mess. Yeah. It's a hard, yeah. It's a hard thing. Um, how old were you when you knew that you wanted to pursue music professionally? Oh, was, I, I think even well, I told my second grade piano teacher, I want to be a rock star. Oh, right. From the a rock and beginning. roll star, not a rock star, a rock and roll star is a difference. Can but you anyway, tell me like through your, through your, from that moment, from like your childhood up through, you know, like applying to college. So like, like through high school, how were you thinking about your own skill set and kind of preparing for like, how, how were you thinking about building your skills during, during your teens and your late childhood? Well, you know, I, I remember I took trumpet lessons and I was not good about, um, preparing for them. Mm. So it was always a panic. Mm. I was always more interested in doing other stuff, you know, like playing with the band, you know, and goofing around a little bit. So what I I didn't, I knew that I should have been practicing better, but I was getting, I was getting, I was moving ahead fine, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And what I always do more. My practice, my performing, I was always just loved to play. Even if it was rehearsal, that was performing, you know, mm-hmm. practicing, not so much. Now, later on, I realized that if you really want to get good, you just got to spend a lot of time away from the performing. Well, I suspect know? that some of this is like human development, like some of it's brain development and like social maturity. That's why I'm curious about like, what did it actually look like? Because I think it's easy for people to imagine a through line that may or may not be there. Um, but that's, it's one of the things that I'm fascinated by, you know, with what does it mean to become an artist? Um, early you- 20s, something clicked in my early 20s. And that's when I started to really have a routine. Yeah, yeah. Even before North Texas, when I was on the road, I would go out to the van, we'd stay in a hotel. I would go out yeah. to the van at six in the morning and warm up because I wow. knew that I had to play early in the day and yeah. had to work on my scales and all this stuff, mm-hmm. you know, and all, everybody such, else was still asleep, you know. It's a beautiful thing. I have found this in my life too, to give yourself permission to take what you're doing very seriously. Um, it, it, you know, even if it's kind of divergent from what, you know, your peers are doing, it's, it's, it's a beautiful gift to give yourself as an artist to just to just dive into what you know you need to to meet your goals. Um, I'm curious about a few other things. Okay. Uh, at what point in your life did you um, did you kind of hone in on on jazz? I, I know you do other things now, but when did you kind of develop like a, a love for jazz music specifically? Um. Well, you know that that was. Freshman year in college. Okay, cool. Up until then, then, I thought my route would be, a, I was going to be a orchestral trumpeter. Yeah, yeah. Wow. That's crazy. And That's crazy to think about. Yeah. There were two guys, two black guys in the at school, and they were in the jazz band. One was a veteran of the Vietnam War. He'd just gotten out. And the other one was, uh, he later was my roommate. Wow. And... Uh, they would jam every night, bass, piano, and bass player. Wow. And I would just, 
it was in the practice rooms. You caught and, it. You caught the bug. Yeah, I remember. I remember. I heard uh, Jimmy D. Staten was the piano player. I remember that he was playing something and he did a thing. Yeah. I, you know, he just did a thing and it felt so. I went, oh, that's. It was just like a little note that he played with so much soul. Yeah. And just so much feel. I went like. Oh, oh, yeah, that's the sound I want to be able to. So anyway, I would listen to him. And after a few nights, I said, get your horn. Come on, get your horn. Wow. And then we, he, they would. And that's when I, I actually played gigs with them. And we would play like monk tunes and wow. he knew so, jazz tunes. Yeah. So what what was your relationship with like music, like less less so trumpet or any specific instruments, but what was your relationship with music before that? Like what music did you love? How did it affect you? you know, I, it's, I, it's it was crazy it was to imagine pop, you playing. It was pop music. It was yeah. mostly pop music. It was rock and roll. And, you know, like I always had a band in high school and that was, and I would book the, you know, would book things and we weren't very good. And, but it was, um, was it about performing or was it about the music or, or some of both? Or? Well, yeah, you can't do the performing without the music. So <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think a lot of like TikTok stars these days would would disagree with you. You know, like I think well, they're, they're performing on. You know, I would. Um, well, they're performing. That's what I'm saying. They're performing, but like, is it about the music? I maybe not. If we had just been a garage band, just playing and rehearsing and trying to work stuff out, that was not appealing to me. I wanted to book a book a dance, rent the hall. Put up what the posters. Your, I think maybe what I'm wondering. That yeah, that makes sense. Like there's the so I, I was entrepreneurial. Okay, that makes sense. What about like music you were listening to? Like when you're when you're taking music in, what was your what was what was kind of like your what did you like? What 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 were you responding to? I it was mostly pop from the radio. Yeah. And then I had an uncle who sent me a Miles Davis album. Mm -hmm. and then I got, then it was Doc Severinsen. It was trumpet players. Yeah. You know, but it was still always, it was always like had a, a pop bent, you know, like, um, yeah, it was. Were you, were you moved I, I was not by... interested in bang, dang, gading. I was not interested sure. in swing music. Were you interested so, in like orchestral music, like, like a classical symphonic band? Orchestra. Yeah. I, I, I used to, my dad had uh, scores of symphonies and he had recordings of symphonies and I really enjoyed just watching uh, the music go by. I would get, listen to the ninth symphony wow. and watch the scores. And you, Beethoven. there was something about like the score connected to the sounds that was interesting. Yeah, so you've, you've always kind of had a composer's brain, maybe even like this is something that I like to think about, like, you know, before a painter is a painter, they are a child who observes colors and textures and shapes in the world. And that's why I'm curious, like, where where's the beginning? So what I'm hearing from you is like you you loved performing and there was something entrepreneurial, something about having a project, something about executing a project that was very satisfying to you. Um, something about writing and kind of this like syntax tone, like it sounds like there's something in there that's like lighting up your brain in a satisfying way. And what about so were, were like lyrics part of that? Like, were you listening to great lyricists as a teenager and feeling like moved? I just want to capture well, the rock and roll lyrics, rock and roll lyrics, sure, sure, <laughs> you sure, know, sure, like sure. Moon and June sort of stuff. But I, 
But um, yeah, the band that I had in college before I went on the road with these other bands, um, we did, we did, uh, I wrote songs with lyrics. I have books of lyrics that were, that I was working on. I ran across some cleaning out things, you know, and it's interesting. I think, oh yeah, I was writing lyrics back then. Now I do a lot because of, yeah. of the, I have this group with Rosanna Eckert. Yeah. And, uh, she deserves we, great lyrics. Yeah. So the, the tune, I hope you're going to play, uh, I, I Mimith yeah. Purple Shoes is one I worked, we worked on, we just recorded that. That's going to be on the next CD. Cool. But um, she's perfectly comfortable with doing songs where she's just a vocal instrument, no yeah. lyrics. But I think it's better. The audience really enjoys. So I've, I've done, um, I think on, let me see, there are at least maybe three or four out of 10 songs have lyrics. On this next album, I think there'll be cool. more. Wow. Um, so I, I was wondering too about your youth and whether you imagined that you would ever teach because it's been such a big part of your career. Okay. 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 Then can you tell me like, tell me about the evolution. I'm shaking my head for yeah. if, you, if you're just doing <laughs> Oh, I should have told the listener. My folks were no. teachers and I saw how hard they worked and mm -hmm. I just wanted to, you know, like when I was in school, it's Vietnam War, I had opportunities. There were bands that, um, just wanted to, I would, to play with them, I would have had to quit school. Mm -hmm. And I was that close. And my folks no. just really said, no, you don't want to do this. First of all, wow. you might get drafted. So Jeez. that was a big thing. And I was so glad that I stuck it out. And then three years later, after the, after I graduated, grad school was like the best, going to North Texas was like the, the best decision, the best investment I ever made, wow. you know, because so it just made everything i just learned so much and i met people yeah you know that are doing great things and your bachelor's degree was in like trumpet performance no 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 i'm music ed all the way okay 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 both okay uh, um when i was at north but texas you didn't think you wanted to teach that's so interesting well but yeah you'd you know you just pick you just pick one. i hated yeah. i had a horrible student teaching experience mm. and um terrible band director he didn't let me do anything i just had to ride around in the car he had a couple schools and he smoked yeah. um i think i smoked at the time too though so i don't know why that bothered me but i just remember it was so it was not a good experience and he wasn't all that good a teacher and mm -hmm. um you know i the the job originally my first teaching job was an artist in residence and so it was part of my job was was putting a band together and booking tours with guest artists. So in in three in four years, I did ten tours with um, people like Jerry. I brought Jerry Berganzi in. I brought Bill Evans in, the tenor player. I brought. I put my own group together. We did different things, and and we uh, actually played quite a bit. I wish I would have rec recorded more. I have some pretty good recordings with that group, but it's a really good group. Well, but anyway, um, at, but half of my job was teaching and actually a quarter of my job was teaching at the university, the college, and a quarter was teaching in the public schools. And this was before you went to grad school or, or this after? was after okay. my first, my first teaching job. Okay. So five days a week, I went to uh, five different high schools for an hour 
and work with their jazz bands. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. And wow. the, the month before I started, the guy that um, hired me was going on sabbatical. One of my best friends, great, but greatest boss I've ever had, wow. um, Don Kerberg. But he said, look, I'm going on sabbatical. Here's the bad news. The five schools that the artists before you uh, went to, they don't want to take part until they see what you're like. So he Heavy. said, they, so he said in, in the first month, just go to, go to as many schools as you want. So in, thir in the first month, I think I went to 20, sometimes I say 30, it couldn't have been 30, but I went to every school in the Wichita, wow. North It Newton probably area. was 30. I feel myself doing this kind of thing sometimes where I, I say a fact about my past and then I'm like, can that be right? And then I'm like, oh, yeah, well, it no, is. It was, a, it was the first month. So, I, and, and that's where I learned to teach. I think yeah, that's where I learned I to, to boil things down. Cause it was high schools where kids weren't all that interested, you yeah. know, but oh, they, it's so different, but I, I learned. And, you know, one of the things that's been a, a blessing is I wrote uh, central elements for jazz, which is a lot of, a lot of schools use. And I book. learned, I learned what sh should be in that book from that, Wow. four years of going to high schools and that one month of going to let's say 20 schools i mean i can count ever, them up okay <laughs> some of them ever, were some of them were great some of them were just like brutally yeah, bad you gotta know? learn you gotta learn that stuff though <laughs> um was it a surprise to you that you wrote like a textbook like an educational book like when you were doing that were you like this is weird i didn't expect this or were you like yeah this I always was, felt like i was asked they they asked me i didn't do it and oh, then wow. present it they asked me wow because they knew me from something and they knew that i was here's the thing they knew i was in texas mm -hmm. and the thing about school books is texas roots are important because if the if the book gets adopted in texas it's free to every student in texas wow and so once it's adopted in texas a lot of the other states say well oh, we'll you know, we approve this book too. Cool. So Texas wow. is such a huge market. So they came to me and uh, said, and I said, it, and it made perfect sense. I said, yeah, I said, I, I know how to do this, I think, because wow. I did a lot of this. I worked a lot with high schools. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, so that's, and and then it it's, it's turned out to be a very popular book. Yeah, it's a great book. I mean, it taught me it taught me many things. Um, I have a couple of questions about your like identity as an artist now. Um, I'd like to know, like, if you could give me a snapshot of like the the Mike that is just graduating from high school and about to go to your bachelor's degree. What is how are you? What does it mean to you at that time in your life to be an artist? I don't think I thought in terms of that. What did you, you think know, of? I th what was it like? Well, to be real honest, I was just so happy to, yeah. to go to college. I love that answer. You know, <laughs> I think it's know, great. And to get away from home and get yeah. to a bigger town and meet new people. Okay. This uh, is I wasn't perfect. crazy about, yeah. you know, I had to do music ed. I didn't have to do, I chose to do music ed. Everybody, at that school, as a little school said, don't, yeah, don't do trumpet performance, you know, do the music ed, you might need it, you know? Yeah, fair enough. And then, and, okay, and then, oh, go ahead. So I, you know, I didn't think in terms of being an artist, I thought in terms of like, you know, like 
finding some people to make some music with, which we did really quickly. We had a band real quick. Cool. And then I got like into other bands that were better. And uh, I'd love you know, to know like oh, a ahead. formative, let me tell you, a formative yes, moment in my life was summer after my sophomore year. I played on the road with a band. It's a funny name. It's, it's called Spire and the Crabs. It was a very oh. actually well-known regional band. Wow. We've, I've got a plaque over there. We were just inducted into the South Dakota Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Oh, wow. They're in the Iowa Hall of Fame and the Kansas Hall of Fame. Cool. It was well-known. We played, and I'm going to probably lie about this, but in the mm -hmm. summer, we played almost every night. We play, I think we played 90 nights. Wow. Wow. All over the Northwest, not not worth the, the Midwest. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. From Texas up through Oklahoma and Kansas and Iowa and every night. And that was like one of the, the real moments when um, I realized, yeah, this is what I want to do. You know, mm. I want to get, it was just so fun, you know, and it was hard. I, I, I couldn't do it now. Yeah, I think it's incredibly valuable to hear artists talk about these things, because, again, it would be really easy to look at, you know, especially if we if we take away the last couple of years where you've been doing like a lot more like you've been doing a lot more divergent projects. But if we look at like, you know, that middle chunk of your career, it would be easy to think, well, this is a man who like always pictured this. And of course, that's not of course that can't be true, you know, but it's, I think it's like valuable to kind of talk about how these identities and how our careers like evolved. And it's not, it's not a matter of like looking ahead and like having a straight shot there. Um, I'm curious if you could, I, if I can ask that same question of like, what does it mean to be an artist or what does it mean to be a musician? Like when you, you know, are like finished with grad school, like, I'm just curious, like how how this is changing like over the course of, you know, your, your twenties and your thirties, maybe. When I was finished with what? It, Grad school. My, by that well, time I realized that it was going to be very much too hard because I was married. I was going to be very much too hard to just exist without some sort of uh, thing. And the, the artist in resonance thing was the perfect mix because here I was supposed to be performing, but I was going to be teaching I and I felt prepared for both. And then I thought maybe from there might move to New York. I had a lot of friends that were living in New York. Mm. Um, and, but after teaching, uh, um, then I realized that, yeah, I, I, I really didn't enjoy it. We're, uh, teaching college and teaching public school is two different things. Yeah. It's like worlds apart, you know. What, it, what do you I have like so about so much, so oh, much ahead. respect for anybody? Yeah. A high school band director, a high school middle school choir director. There's a place in heaven for those people. Amen. Because it is really a hard job. What did you like about teaching college? Well, I had a group that particular college. I had a group of like four or five really committed musicians, and. They were excited that I was going to be there. And, and that was, they, uh, it was just enough for a combo. And then we had a big band that was a lot of music majors, but a lot of really smart, good players who were physics and chemistry. Yeah. And, you know, it was a, it was a, it was a very good liberal arts, small liberal arts college and uh, had a strong musical 
um, program, but it was mostly choral. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I had, but I had a really good uh, boss. He was a chair who was uh, really supportive and uh, became my best friend during that time, I think. Yeah. And, um, but, so I had, and I still keep in touch with a couple of these students and wow. they're doing great things. You know, one went on to classical, a doctorate in classical guitar. Fantastic. It was a very fun, but uh, it was just, a, I had enough, I had enough students who were really into it and ready to do whatever, you know, was needed to be done. And, and also they were close to my age. So we hung out too. Yeah. I've, I've really enjoyed having a similar experience teaching out here because I started teaching college when I was 27 and was really close in age to a lot of my students. And I, I still feel like I am. I'm, I just turned 35 and my, you know, my students are 20, 20 to 25. And yeah. it's, it's fun. I mean, I, I think I'm a little bit more of like an older sister vibe to them, but we're close enough in age that, you know, I don't know. There's something really special about it. You know, I, I, I like it. When I first started at North Texas, there were, I, I remember classes, I was pretty green and that was, I was thrown into, they hadn't had a teacher for a year really. So they had postponed a bunch of, of the high-end classes. So I got in thrown in there with these cats in the one o'clock and they played great. And there was yeah. some, res, I felt resistance yeah. sometimes to what I've taught. And then over the years, that resistance just kind of went away. Tell me and everything I realized, about that. Oh, go ahead. I realized what happened when I got there, I was like their father's age. Mm. But then 10 years later, I was grandpa. Mm. Mm. <laughs> and no one's going to, no one's going to be mean to grandpa. Oh, you know? that's so interesting. What, um, what was it like, like accepting a job there? I mean, did you, did you have a sense that that was a big thing? Cause it, it's a, in retrospect, a big thing. Like, did you feel that when yeah, you started? I had a friend, I had a friend, you know, it kind of came out of the blue. I didn't apply. They they went through a search and weren't happy with mm. the candidates. And I was asked to apply. I said, oh, okay. And wow. it came down to me and another person. And, uh, you know, I, I had a really good friend. I don't even know this, this name, Frank Mantooth. I played I, with I, him. I've heard great, of him. Great player. Yeah. He passed away, I think, 13 years ago. Wow. But we were really good friends. And uh, we had a group called the Chicago Jazz Quintet. See, I already, until I got to North Texas, I, I always had a band going, you know, mm -hmm. and booking it. Yeah. So I had the jazz, Chicago Jazz Quintet, and we did some touring, blah, blah, blah. So anyway, and I told him about that, that I was going to probably get this job because people on the inside were going, yeah, you, 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 this is... That other guy's probably not going to want this job, you know, because mm -hmm. the bread won't be right. Anyway, so I thought, you know, um, even he said, oh, that makes perfect sense. He said, yeah, you going to North Texas. That makes perfect sense. I see wow. that. Wow. And he made he made the point. He was kind of he, he was a very funny guy, but he was also. He said, sometimes, you know, you can see things like and you can see the future things. And I said, oh, okay. And he says, yeah, I can see that you at North Texas, you know, Did but I was pretty, I was pretty green, but Neil Slater was so supportive wow. from the get go wow. um, about anything I wanted to do. And that, you know, 
That's really cool. When Frank Mantooth said that to you, did you kind of feel, did you believe it? Did you kind of feel like, Hey, yeah, this yeah, is, I did. This I did kind job. of believe it because That's I really knew what cool. the, I knew what the school was, you know, it yeah. wasn't that I hadn't been gone that long. And, um, who else was there? All my teachers were there. Yeah. I was going, I was going back to, to, to work with Dan Hurley yeah. and Jack Peterson and well, Rich, I took Rich Madison's place. He'd okay. been my teacher. And Neil, I didn't know really until I got there. But was, uh, was Ed there yet? Was like Lynn there he yet? Came the, he, Ed came the same year as I did. And Ed, Lynn, and Fred were those Paris? Fred was later. Ed, it was just a very small faculty wow. when I first started. I love it. I, I mean, I don't know these things. Like, I don't, I mean, I just, I know who was there when I got there and I know who's there now. Right, yeah. It's an interesting thing to to know kind of who. So you, how many and years Jim did Riggs. you? I got oh, Jim and Jim Riggs. Riggs. Yeah. How many and years did you teach there? 32. Wow. That's almost my entire life. <laughs> um, uh, you make I, me feel terrible. No, that. it's amazing. I love, in fact, you know, I, this is something, well, I'm, I'm, maybe you've seen me write a little bit about this, but I'm not in contact with my family. Really. My mom died uh -huh. years ago and she was just, um, our relationship was really full of a lot of grief for me and, and my dad's just not a safe person for me. So, you know, I feel, I feel a dearth of like elders, you know, I, I feel a dearth of like just oh, men yeah. mentors. And yeah. so part of this podcast for me is like, I really, really like interviewing people who've lived more life than me because it's so valuable. I mean, I just, I find it like just absolutely precious. And it's like something that I, that I, I feel a distinct lack of like in my day-to-day -day life. So I think it's a beautiful thing. Like we all are going to age, you know, we, there's always going to be older people. There are always going to be younger people. And I think there's something really nice about taking stock of like the place that you are in your life and thinking like, what do I have to learn? What do I have to offer? And it feels like a, you know, feels like a really nice thing to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I hear the, yeah, for sure. Will you talk to me about just like your the way that you evolved as as an individual, the way that you built your identity and your identity evolved like during those 32 years that you were teaching at this, you know, this incredible giant institution of music education? You know, this is why I need help, because I need what I need is a, a publicist who can sure? tell me because <laughs> I don't really know. You know, I know I've done this and this and this. And let's talk about it. What? Yeah. Can you be my publicist? Sure. You know, <laughs> I really I, do. I, I really do think I need a publicist. You know, I have a lot of guests who tell me after our interview that like they kind of thought about things that they hadn't thought about before. So I, 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 tr I like to get people kind of like say making connections like in real time. So I welcome it. But yeah, <laughs> I, I'd love to know. I mean, do you, you know, have the, a publicist? No, well, I did hire a PR firm for my last album, but I don't think I think I do a better job by myself, maybe, perhaps. See, sorry, you know, here's the thing. I we we're totally comfortable financially. Yeah. I'm 71. I don't do this because I need to make money. Yeah. Yet I'm doing, you know. But I had a friend when I when I when we did song and dance, I sent um, the MP3s up to a good friend who opinion whose opinion I really admire, um, Paul Reed in Toronto, um, and he he just wrote back a note says I love this. He says and then one sentence says 
I hope it gets the attention it deserves. And that's like, mm-hmm. that's, the, that would be like the only goal, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. to have, yeah. uh, uh, it's just that I would like to get the attention my work deserves. And uh, maybe it's okay. maybe that's happening. <laughs> well, but, it's it's hard. No, go ahead. I have thoughts. Oh no, about it's this, so hard. Yeah, you know, ahead. I get downbeat every every uh, month, and I go like, "Wow, there's so much out there." Don't there's you think that's? A... Don't you think that's a valuable thing to say out loud? Like, I mean, I I just think isn't this part of it? Like, you know, well, exactly. I was, I was just talking with my. I teach songwriting at Utah Valley University, and um, I'm teaching songwriting to. So I taught songwriting one this past fall for the first time, and mm-hmm. I'm just finishing up teaching songwriting two for the first time. I, I get to teach both sec- both uh, iterations of the class or both tiers. And I, the way that I've been constructing it is like, I think you'd really like my songwriting one curriculum. It's very organized and methodical. Okay. And then what I'm trying to do in my songwriting two class is I'm trying to teach the students about these more ephemeral skill sets. Like, how do you continue to find inspiration? How do you follow inspiration? How do you learn to trust your instincts? How do you maintain curiosity? How do you teach your brain how to do paradigm shifts? How do you, you know, evolve as an artist? And uh, I mean, I just think these kinds of things are, they're kind of, they're, there's so much of it. But yesterday we were kind of having our final class of the semester and my students were talking about this kind of grief that they feel of like their music not getting the the recognition mm. it deserves. And we were talking about what to do with that. I mean, I was just having this conversation with my students yesterday. What do we do with this feeling that, you know, I've made something that I know is special and it's it's not even... I'm sure you feel the same way. Like you've spent your whole life cultivating taste and building, you know, and you've built something that you know is something. And it's very disorienting to think about why are we doing this? What are we doing when sometimes our work does not get the recognition that it deserves? It's hard. Yeah. You know, um, there's a great quote from uh, a review of Dylan or in a book about Bob Dylan. And this one reviewer says, Dylan's always had the courage to do insignificant work. In other words, you, you listen to all those albums. They're not all great. You know, Blonde on Blonde is fantastic, but it was fraught with um, problems getting it created. They're all, everything is, you know, um, but, and there's some of the stuff that's just, you know, it's, it's interesting, but it's, it's not, the same level but he just keeps that machine going you know and i think that that's a that's a lesson i've learned okay um this may not be the the this isn't this song's not going to save the world but this is kind of uh you know interesting I, i don't one thing we haven't talked about is for the for about two years i've been on a podcast on the david feldman show and i'm i'm doing one tonight actually i don't know what time it is yeah, we're good. Um, yeah. But I'm going to do his podcast, and I've got, I've written a song for him. Wow. Um, but I've done 30 songs for that show. Sometimes, and I do them on this, uh, my wow. garage band right over yeah. here. Wow. And they're just kind of funny little things, but yeah. I produce them. And I just throw them out there, you know? Mm-hmm. So, like. It's radical. I, I wouldn't have done that yeah. 10 years ago. Wow. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have had the opportunity 
And so there's a whole little, he's got a little fan base that um, likes my music, you know? Yeah. Um, but anyway. No, I love, I, I think that's really valuable. Sorry, were you in the middle of thought? Go ahead. No, I just, I, you know, I just keep, I keep working at stuff. I'm, and, beginning, uh, I'm beginning to develop a theory that when we keep working on stuff, when we just, when we just put out work, just keep making things that it does something like esoterically to like our communities. Like even if, even if it's just, I, I, I mean, the person it changes most is you, the, the person it changes next most is maybe Beverly, like maybe, you know, the people that are right around you, your students, you know, I, I just think sometimes these, the, the, the work that these things are doing in the world, it's just a different shape than what we are taught to kind of look at maybe or something. I don't know. Yeah, I hear that. Yeah, yeah. yeah that makes sense. Yeah. Like it, like it's about community and it's about like putting, putting voice to, you know, something about the human experience or like just, you know, it's this like a, you know, that little uh, proverb that talks about how like the birds sing in the morning to, to say like, I made it through the night. I'm still here. There's yeah. something like, there's something very powerful about artists just making things and just saying we're alive we're human you know there's just there's something like there's that impulse profound. and yeah. and just to back up i i have i have no i'm not i have no bitterness about i've had a lot of yeah of course things come my way opportunities you know and and i'm thankful for all of them and and probably i'm i'm getting to do as much performing as i want to do i really anymore i prepare a lot like we yeah. played wednesday and I'm working Saturday and Sunday and just to get in the set right. And, you know, so like if I was to play every night, <laughs> I would be sick of it, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know. So I but but it's, you know, when you're if you're going to pay money to go in and record something and then put it on a CD and then, you know, send it around, you kind of, you know, at one point you go like, well, um, maybe this. Maybe just 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 needs to happen, and then you know, like, it doesn't need for everybody to notice this, you know. Yeah, I I agree. I mean, as as hard as it is sometimes to kind of remember that, I think the that's... business is so screwed up. Like, who buys CDs? I know, I know. And yet we still make them. I know. Actually, I have a. Do you know? Remember Eric Schneller? Were you in school with Schneller? Uh, wait. Oh yes, with an A. Eric with an A. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, Eric. Yeah, Eric. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. He. He's down at uh, Sam Houston. Okay. They make the coolest CDs. They make CDs that aren't CDs. It's in a sleeve. I'm going to do this next time. <gasps> it's in a sleeve. You pull it out. It has art. <gasps> and there's a code. I have an idea. And you Incredible. download it. He's wow. found a company in, in Dallas. See, I'm not going to, I'm not probably going to give this secret away. I hope they can do it. That they house the, they house the, uh, on their cloud, they house the music. So it's not going through uh, Audible. It's not going through um, like Spotify. Like CD Baby. Or or, yeah, okay. But yeah. people can just download it to their phone, sits on their phone or sits on oh. their computer. Wow, that's awesome. That's awesome. And it's for like a dollar a, a thing instead of like what a CD costs. Yeah, that's really that's really creative. That's really cool. Um, can I ask you, just because I know we're kind of wrapping up, I, I would love to hear you soliloquize a little bit about what you've learned about 
you know, humanity from all these years of teaching, you know, very dedicated students? Like, what has that been like? I'm, I'm, I'm really curious about that. Wow. I don't, let me see. You must like, you must have some wisdom about just what it means to like become an artist to like, you just have seen, you've seen so much of it. Well, there's a lot of God in music, I think, mm. you know, yeah, I go to church. I enjoy church, but it doesn't really get me until I hear the music. Yeah, yeah. Or I play the music. Yeah. Or what you, is it? What do you think? Like, what? Tell me, describe it. What is it? Well, there you hear God. I mean, you hear yeah, something. You hear like that transcendence. You hear the spirit, mm -hmm. you know. And there's something in music that's not there necessarily in the spoken word mm. and not there in, I mean, um, visual artists might disagree, but. For me, no, it's different. That's I, that's what speaks to me, like on a spiritual level. We went, we just heard the Saint Matthew Passion, wow. and uh, Stephen Sof, Ed Sof's son, was the evangelist, and it was so beautiful. And it's just the yeah. story; it's a passion story. Yeah. You know, they did it during Easter down wow. in Dallas with an orchestra wow. and everything. It's Bach, you know, cool. and yeah. So that's what you know, and it's almost like so. If somebody has the musical impulse inside them, then that I I sort of look at that they've got the spirit of God in them. Whatever yeah. that means to you, That's I know what beautiful. it means to me. Yeah, yeah. Really... So it's as simple as that. I mean, it's just the one thing that you that doesn't hurt anybody, doesn't hurt the environment. Yeah. There's so many things that we do that have adverse effects i don't yeah. think music ever has any adverse effect on on the human yeah 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 on the yeah. earth or whatever well they so, do use heavy metal for torture sometimes so there is that <laughs> i was gonna say i i've been reading this incredible book called your brain on art and it talks about like the neurology of consuming art and music is unique like music shows up in the brain in a way that other kinds of art don't and vice versa so it, 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 there is something is that a there, jensen book Written by Jensen? No, it's by um, it's by Susan Magsiman and oh. Ivy Ross, and it's phenomenal. I love it. I have to check it out. I'll send it. I'll send you a link to it. It's it's incredible. I'm still not totally finished with it, but it's like blowing my mind. But it, there is something you know neurologically unique going on with music, and I I think you're right. Like those of us who are drawn to it. It, it, there is maybe something going on, you know, chemically or in terms of like the uh, just the composition of, of our brains that that, you know, when we are connected with music as children, it's just something. It's hard to say what it is, but it's just there's something going on. And then we, you know, we we spend our lives like uh, scratching that itch, you know, like just pursuing that whatever that very particular high is. And this is kind of what I was trying to say before, but as I've done these, these interviews, it's such a blessing to me, like to have these long conversations with artists of all ages, all different kinds of backgrounds and hear people talk about what they do and what that does to their brain, man, it just makes me feel, uh, uh, uh some kind of a way about what it means to be a person. But I am yeah. curious, like specifically as a teacher, like watching students struggle, watching students really like, 
you know, I mean, you've seen students be broken, I think, <laughs> you know, like yeah, you've seen, yeah. you've seen artists and like, I've, I've probably I've broken seen, a few. <laughs> it's, it is what it is. I mean, but, but it wouldn't but be, I, it wouldn't be fun if it would, if it, it was, if there wasn't a struggle. Yeah. Famous I'm, quote, I'm just, famous quote, Bill Evans, my friend, Bill Evans, the tenor player who I was in school with when he, he was a freshman, I was a grad student. He would come to our house and we'd jam and he had this book like it with a rubber band around it. And I opened it one day just while he was soloing and it was just lick after lick after lick wow. that he was using. But anyway, he said he was playing with uh, no relation. He was playing with the Gil. He was part of the Gil Evans, you know, the famous arranger who did course, all the mile yeah. stuff. The sketches uh, he of Spain was, is still one of my favorite records to ever exist. Fantastic. So Gil, he was in Gil's band and they were playing someplace and he walked off the stage after kind of shaking his head, thinking he didn't play a good solo. And Gil said, man, that was beautiful. And he goes, he looked at Gil and says, what are you talking about? He says, man, there's a beauty in the struggle, you know, yeah. there's the beauty in the struggle. Did you yeah. feel like, I, oh, go ahead. Sorry. That's, I, I, no, that's I, it. I love it. I'm wondering if you feel like I just I'm just curious about what it's been like from your experience to to watch students like be, you know, really, really bright stars and then kind of burn out and to watch students maybe do the opposite and really struggle and then, you know, have thriving careers like just I'm curious whether you've developed like any kind of instinct for like who might, you know, make it. Oh, he's shaking his head. No. And I love that answer, too. I that's so um, interesting. I'm Isn't always interesting? fooled by some, you know, yeah. the people there's some people I think get have a ceiling. Mm -hmm. I think some musicians have a ceiling and they're going to get this far and then that's it. Unless something happens, they get with somebody who can really help them break through it. Or did they just get dissatisfied or whatever, whatever, for whatever reason. Yeah. And then other people seem to just keep, um, like their potential is they have greater potential. They may start, you know, way down at the, you know, like at, at the freshman level, they might be in the nine o'clock, but you know, they might be. And I used to tell students like in the first semester, I say, you know, you know, um, everybody's at a different place. Yeah. Um, and well, you know, like, I, remember the the dump truck analogy? Did you ever, did I ever do the dump Adam, truck maybe analogy? Tell me it. Tell me it now. I would draw a drum truck on the, you know, I says here, this isn't about talent. You're going to be successful. Talent has nothing to do with your success. Talent has only to do with uh, two things, skill and knowledge. Mm. Now talent helps you absorb skill and knowledge. So, so here's it. So what you got to do is you got to fill up this truck with skill and knowledge. Okay. Some of you, that's very easy. You've got a front loader. You can just, it goes in there quickly. You absorb it, analogy. you know, some of you, you're going to have to use a shovel and there's a few of you, it might be hand to hand, but it doesn't matter how you load up that truck. It's just going to be harder. But once you get the skill and knowledge that someone else has, and, and, you know, I think some, if it comes really easy for people, I think sometimes that is uh, indication right. that it's not that interesting for them. I totally agree. I, well, 
I'm glad that you told me this again. It doesn't sound familiar, but I'm going to tell this to all of my students. And now, <laughs> now it's a thing I'm going to do because um, that's that's beautiful. And, and another thing that I've been thinking about, you know, again, as I look back over just this 10 years, it's just it's a nice and I just turned 35. So they're they're both kind of nice, chunky numbers that yeah. I'm kind of thinking about 10 years out of grad school and 35 years old. And I feel like I wish that someone would have told me when I was younger, like, you know, the shape of the thing is just different for everybody. Like, I'm I'm very satisfied with a lot of things that are going on in my career in the sense that I feel pretty sure that I'm on the right track and I'm excited about the future. I'm excited about what I'm learning. I'm excited about what I'm building. And the thing that I'm doing is real different shaped from, you know, a lot of my colleagues. And I mean, my my classmates from North Texas anyway, I'm not really doing jazz specifically. And, you know, I think for me, like getting a, getting two degrees in jazz studies was like, that was never going to be the arrival point for me. That was like a, a spot in my journey that I needed to like, I needed those skills and I, and I need those skills, but I don't think I love jazz like some of y'all do, you know, like, I think it's just a different, it's, it's something I, that I, I might be right there with you. I mean, a lot of the stuff, yeah. like the, the song that we're going to play, you, some people might listen to that and go like, that's not jazz, you know, yeah. it's, yeah. it's poppy maybe or whatever. I think yeah. it's, it's a, it's a, it's something I'd worked a long time on to try to fashion these, the harmony into something that would, and then, and then with the lyrics, the you know, yeah, yeah, building a puzzle. I love it. It's yeah. puzzles. Yeah, I think that's really beautiful. And I think that's a great thing to say. I, I I think in our art careers, we can get real tight and we can get sort of gatekeeping and we can get really kind of scarce about who's in, who's out, who belongs, who doesn't. And I love thinking of it as a much more expansive thing, like just, you know, even even the people who leave you know they leave music altogether and go into computer science or whatever i love the idea that that's maybe more interesting and maybe that's the dump truck they're filling up shovel by shovel and you know maybe the dump truck they're filling up shovel by shovel has something to do with parenting or maybe it has something to do with you know something medical like who knows but i think it's like it's just it's a it's a beautiful thing to look at who's around us in these moments where we're making art or where we're struggling where we're thinking about things and just go like, hey, nice to see you. It's, it's I'm glad you're here. Like, I can't wait to see where you're going. I can't wait to see where I'm going. I don't know. It's a beautiful mystery. It's a beautiful Absolutely. artifice. Yeah. Mike, <laughs> is there anything else you want to say about about art or creativity? I just I can't emphasize enough how uh how much your like your your wisdom it means something to me. Like, you know, you, no, you had, I, a, I, had a big I, effect on me. I, I I'm I'm so happy for you doing this thing that you're doing. It's it's um, it's it's a really a neat project, and I, like I'm just honored to be able to talk yeah. about this stuff. And and all I say, if people's listen or listening to this, if they want to, I'll just just a plug. Yeah, <laughs> you know, please. Well, I tell everybody. I well, I'll ask you actually if you'll if you don't mind, I'll ask you for all the plugs at the very end. Okay. So okay. before you do your plugs, is there is there anything else that you'd like to briefly? soapbox or philosophize about about creativity about your identity as an artist about what art means in the world like these big beautiful concepts that i love so much i you know i wish i could say something profound i don't know other than uh yeah i think we've said a lot i think i've kind of said what i what's in my mind about that. You hate to talk things. about it. You know, I hate to talk about it too much because 
if you say something, then, you know, then you get boxes you into like the, um, what, what you might have to do. I, I just keep working and, you know, I'm, I'm getting to the point where I'm, I'm realizing, yeah, you know, I got, who knows how much, you know, we don't know how, a lot of people are dying. You know, that's what, that's what's no, bothered me. I, I, I feel the same way. We lost and Paris. So, we lost, we lost Dr. Murphy and it's devastating. And that I, that's yeah, I mean, and, and all the, all the yeah. jazz stars that I have tried to emulate, you know, Wayne Shorter yeah. and right, you know, and yeah. so you realize, well, this is a short trip. So, yeah. you know, um, I wish, I wish I would, I really regret. I, I wasn't more, uh, I shouldn't even regret it, but I, I, I have to realize that w there was a time in my life when I wasn't all that serious about what I'm serious about now, you know, yeah. and I was just having fun. I think and that's young normal. And, that's normal <laughs> right. though, right? I mean, I, that's, I suppose of, that's why like, you know, this, this artifice conversation that I like having, it's about, it's about age. It's about what you learn. It's about like this whole human experience through the lens of the arts and I think these answers are just perfect. Like, I mean, I love hearing like this kind of humility and that you still have questions and you still have like, you know, I mean, I, I think that's, I think it's a, it's a perfect answer and, and it probably doesn't feel profound, but I, I think it is, you know, like who knows, like it's, it's a mystery and that's why I call it artifice. Like it's just a mystery. Yeah, It is a mystery, this whole thing. And, and, you know, really, uh, I think this is this is weird. I've thought about this because um, we've had talked about, you know, uh, seeing people in heaven and whatever, yeah. you, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, sure. And I'm hoping that there's work to do in heaven. Oh, hell yeah. Because if there isn't, <laughs> yeah. that's hell. Uh, no, I couldn't agree more. I haven't more. said this to anybody, mm. not even my wife, but it's mm. occurred, occurred to me. Like, you know, when you, I work in the yard, I come in and I'm, you know, I'm tired and I get, you know, yeah. like you take a shower, you take a, a soak in the tub and you, and you ache and it says, mm -hmm. well, that felt good. It feels good to work. That's yeah. my point. feels I good agree. to work. And, um, you know, if it, it doesn't necessarily to have a job is not the best thing because sometimes yeah. it's a job. It's projects. You know? It's your puzzles. But it's, yeah. yeah. But it's really good to work. And, and, you know, people should, if, if they feel that their work makes them, feel good that's a that's a good sign that's what you should be doing yeah yeah, yeah. you know well i think that thing that thing you just said about like work being you know it's it's this labor of love and like there's a love in the labor yeah um that i think that might be the best name for that thing that i always i think i could see that in you and i know that i'm like that too and that's why like i really i just i want you to hear me saying like you know having someone at that time in my life that i felt like this is a person who's quite a bit older than me, who I feel a bit of like a, a, a kinship with. And, um, you know, like it's just, it's just valuable. It's, it's important. And that's, I'm sure I'm not the only one of your students who feels that way. So it's just, it's, you know, I don't know. It's, it's, it's part of the kind of like circle of life, I think like, yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's and, for sure. Uh, and I really value that. And you'll just be in heaven filling up a new dump truck. I'm sure of it. <laughs> I'm sure of it.
infinite or maybe, dump or maybe, trucks. Or maybe, gar- do, you know, planting. Maybe we'll plant stuff, you We know? can change the metaphor. It can yeah. be... It or can, maybe we'll paint, you know, maybe it we'll... It can take on any number of shapes. Yeah. Yeah. And, you, and you'll be... I'm hoping there's work to be done. Are you a tiny little brush or are you painting with a big roller and there's your analogy? <laughs> like, it works either way. Okay. <laughs> okay. I ask everybody two questions at the very end to close. The okay. first of those two questions is... On this day, what's your dream collaboration? And you can build a team or you can just say one person, but who's someone that you would love to work with and you also can summon someone from the grave if you'd like? Oh, I don't know. This is so hard. I, that's why I like to say like on this day, just like what's in your heart today? Collaborate. You know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw you a curve. I'm not a good collaborator. That's fine. I mean, who would you I'm, love to? I is mean, there anyone you'd love to write for? I mean, because I would say. Oh, to write are. for. Whatever. It could be anything you want. A dream. Just someone who you would love to create with. And that could be like you write a thing and they sing it or they play it. Or, you know, someone writes a thing for you. Or, you know, maybe even like, you know, what if you could bring Charlie Parker back to um, well, that's, that, to write that, a story? Would, all right. <laughs> to write a book. I would love to. I would love to. Uh, hang out with Charlie Parker and talk to him about music. Yeah. But he wasn't a collaborator either, either. Yeah. You know, yeah. he didn't, he did, supposedly him and Dizzy didn't even talk about what they did. Wow. I'm not, I'm actually not surprised by that. But. They just did it. And they, you know, and uh, when Dizzy was here in North Texas, uh, um, Neil Slater asked him about that. Well, what did you, and what did you and uh, Bird talk about? He didn't talk about music. Mm-hmm. He said, he'd play something and I'd smile and I'd play something and he'd smile. Wow. You know, and yeah. I try my tune, but he did, they did. There's this um, story that um, bird would get an idea and go to uh, Dizzy's apartment and stand outside the door. Cause Dizzy's wife wouldn't let him in. Oh and he so would, funny. he would write, he would play a line and Dizzy would write it down. So funny. <laughs> so I guess oh, I did collaborate. Mike, I have an idea. Your okay. collaboration could be your, 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 uh, your hypothetical collaboration could be, Bringing someone from that time period to help you write the dialect in that book. Oh, oh. Or someone present, you know, maybe you do need a co-writer. Just a, just an idea. I have to think about that. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, that's something, that's a place you have a need, right? Yeah. Or something. I, I would just, I'd be, I'd be tempted just to say a name without, I'd have to really think about this. I'm going to think about this. I'm not going to answer. No, that's fine. I think this is an answer. Like it's, yeah, I love it. Okay. And then the last so thing is people, tell, okay. tell everybody where to find all your projects, all your things. Well, MikeSteinel.com is a good place to start. It's all a there. Hub. Okay. Yeah. And there's the fiction button and you can listen to the first um, audio book and also order, you know, CDs or whatever uh, for um, um, say even Charlie Parker. If you want to know a little bit about more about that novel, Saving Charlie Parker has some background stuff, shows all the books that, and a little bit about all the books that I used to research oh. the Parker part. Cool. And it's got, got pictures of the What a Shame house that the guy falls down in and hits his head and sends him back in time. <laughs> and um, I'm going to tell you, I, do so we have whimsical. time to tell you? I'll tell you a please. creepy story. Okay. Please, 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 please. So I started writing Saving Charlie Parker. And I go, it's going to be a retired jazz person that's able to go back and he's going to go back to Toronto in 1953 and, and he's going to hang out with Charlie Parker at 
the, what it was called the greatest jazz concert ever, Jazz mm-hmm. in Massey Hall. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I started writing this book. And I'm about six, seven chapters into it, and I'm still doing research. And I had to set this person somewhere. And I thought, well, this retired jazz person cannot be in Denton, Texas. No, that it's not me. Yeah. So I said, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll go Oklahoma. I'll do stay in nearby. So I said, Norman. No, I know people in Norman. They would think I'm talking about them. I know Edmund. No, I know that there's a school there. Telequan. No, I, I said, I got out the maps. It's McAllister, Oklahoma. I just went on my, dropped my finger on McAllister, mm-hmm. Oklahoma. Yeah. And I did a research as a little college there. Okay. So he's a teacher at McAllister University, Eastern, Eastern, whatever. Oklahoma State University, a little bit of cool. school there. So anyway, yeah. I'm writing the book and I'm, I'm researching uh, out of the Chuck Haddock's book who writes a lot about Charlie Parker's early life in Kansas City. And there's on page, I don't know, 27, I remember the page, it says, Charlie Parker's mother worked as a housemaid in a large household in McAllister, Oklahoma. I love it. It's magic. And so I went back and I made I made that that the character and his wife, Michael Newman and Jean, his wife, were remodeling that same house, the oh What a Shame gosh. house. And that's where he falls down. And there's there's a wormhole there because Charlie Parker's mother was there and probably pregnant with Charlie Parker at the time. So Vince. Isn't that oh, creepy? I love it. That's amazing. <laughs> the world yeah. is such a beautiful mystery. I, I can't wait go. to keep discovering more every day. Um, okay, so MikeSteinel.com has all the things everybody yes. people can find. Yeah. So I'll play this recording um with you and with the quintet. Um, do you want to say anything about it just as we're like just kind of wrapping up? Set yeah, it's it just men, men with purple shoes. It's uh, Rosanna Eckert on voice, um, Pat Coyle on piano. Uh, John Adams on bass, uh, Steve Barnes on percussion, on drums. Um, uh, let me see who else is on that. Chris McGuire and Gary Eckert on percussion. Wow. And it's a nice little piece. All-star, all-star thing. That's amazing. It's called, called Men with Purple Shoes. Cool. Well, Mike, thank you so much for doing this. It really is important to me. And I just, you know... Yeah, we we've never talked that much, but uh, but you're an important person to me. So oh, thanks, for, thanks for doing this. I appreciate that. You're so nice. <laughs> I mean it. It's I mean really like when I came to North Texas, I I didn't know a single soul in the land, and yeah. you know just was leaving a lot of trauma at home that I was not prepared to deal with, and you know I just came to I came to school in such a vulnerable position, and just felt mostly so at home there and. You know, I'm I'm really just I'm grateful for everybody who kind of made me feel like I belonged there. It's a special and, place. It's changed a lot yeah. of people's lives, I think. Yeah. Absolutely. Mine included. Absolutely. Well, thank you and thanks thank for you. thanks for chatting. And hopefully we'll talk again soon. Okay. Are you thanks. gonna put in the, the tune later? Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Mike. Have a great weekend. Bye bye. You too. Bye. Thank you. Sing a lullaby Light 
Thanks for listening to Artifice. Our theme song is As You Are from my album Masks with artwork and merch designs by Sarah Keel. If you'd like to recommend a professional artist for an interview on the podcast, you can reach me through my website, emilymerrellmusic.com. That's E-M-I-L-Y-M-E-R-R-E-L-L music.com. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks again. Have a great week.